Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try to sell that? Why can't you be normal like everybody else? All right. Were your parents morons too? The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. That really turned out well. I'm really good job. I'm getting ready. I'm surprised. You know, I wish I thought of that. I never thought of anyone then. How did you do that? I said, glad you're here. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting here on WLCB 101.5 FM, based in the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person or you're thinking about becoming one, listen up because this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. The Savvy Entrepreneur Show has two goals. First, to share helpful information and resources. I've been an entrepreneur. I have made so many mistakes. I've had clients and friends who've made lots of mistakes. So if I can help just a couple of you out there avoid some of the mistakes that I've seen or that I've made, then I'm successful. The second goal is to inspire. I found being an entrepreneur confusing, often lonely. You have no idea sometimes if you're on the right track or not, or where to turn for good advice. So to help with both those goals, every week on the show, I have guests who are willing to share their stories and their advice. And this week, I have not one, but two guests, the co-founders of Do Well Brands, Malika and Mike Wells. And they are joining me here today to tell about their story and how they created their business and some of the challenges they've experienced and successes along the way. So with that introduction, Malika and Mike, welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. Thanks for being with me today. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having us. I am delighted you're here. So, you know, first tell people a little bit about your backgrounds both of you and you know how you came to start your own business because it's you know it's not an easy journey and you know what was it about your backgrounds and your you know your makeup that led you to want to do this well my background um Man, I just always been wanting wanting to be in business for for myself. Like uh, I sold candy in um, high school. Um, I was a personal trainer for years. Um, I kind of always wanted to work for myself and kind of whatever work I was gonna do. I wanted it to be for me. Um, my uh, parents owned a business, uh, they owned a bakery. Oh. Um, so I uh, I saw how an in-home business can kind of grow into something. And I could, and I also saw how the, the strain of that business could cause difficulty in the um, home. So I saw kind of both ends of it. Yeah. Um, Mike, Mike, did you work in the, the family bakery? 
you say work in it. Yeah, I used to help deliver um, orders. Like when uh, we like we used to have contracts with uh, J&J Fish, Pizza, uh, Ribs and Things, um, and a lot of other uh, different um, fast food restaurants out south. And um, I used to go on all the orders. I used to actually see that. And we used to get free food sometime. <laughs> um, and so that was just kind of a thing. And um, so that that just kind of had me in, in like a business type of mind frame. I went to Hampton University for business management. Um, and um, I've just kind of been in business for myself all this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it certainly helps when you come from a family of entrepreneurs because you're, you see that people can make, make a great living doing that. What about you, Malika? What's your background? What, what makes you do <laughs> So, um, similar to Mike, I always wanted to work for myself. I always used to say, I'm going to be a business owner before I really understood what a business owner was, um, right. you know, I was like, I'm going to school for business because I'm going to be a business owner. And I ended up in college and went to school for interior design instead. Wow. <laughs> so so um, my background is mostly on the design and logistics side. So what I loved about interior design was the space planning, um, making spaces functional. So then after interior design, I moved into event design and event planning. And I really fell in love with like the logistics of putting things together and making things look pretty, but also making things efficient. And that led me to uh, working for one of Chicago's larger event production companies. And that's where I was when I met Mike and no, that's not where I was when I met Mike, but that's where I was when we got married. <laughs> uh, well, so you're, you're a process person. It sounds like. Yes. I'm very much a process person. The details person. You don't um, say. And <laughs> after working for that company for about four years, I was getting a little disenchanted with it and with working for someone else. And I kept saying, I need to go back to working for myself, even if it's just freelancing for other companies. And then Mike came up with this happened. idea that we needed to start a business. And I was like, well, I'm kind of got one foot out the door anyway. Yeah, like <laughs> I, so, so is that how Duo Brands was born? Or at that point, were you looking at? Well, it was levels to it. it. It was kind of a confluence of a of a few things um i was getting out of the fitness industry so i was kind of getting disenchanted with that and then i opened up a juice bar so like i i ran wow. a juice a bar juice a mobile well no it was like a mobile juice bar that actually it wasn't mobile because it was in one spot we were at um the la fitness um in um in my neighborhood and they actually allowed me to run a juice bar there uh I, I i think i started out three days a week then it turned out to be every day um 
That and sounds what like happened, a pretty good opportunity, though. You, yeah, but what happened a- was it wasn't a sustainable um, situation. But but what it did was it got me th- looking at beverages as like a way to do something good. Yeah. Um, and so what happened was I started to make smoothies and sell those and bottle those on, you know, my own. I, I had a... Um, taffy apple smoothie that tastes just like a taffy apple it was oh man that sounds good right now actually it It was was, very good it was really good uh but but the thing was it was a bit expensive to make and hard to kind of make it taste the exact same every single time and so i decided i needed something else i didn't know what that was now we fast forward to Thanksgiving 2017. 17, yes. 17. I made some lemonade for Thanksgiving. And the most involved the most lemonade. Involved ever. lemonade she had ever seen <laughs> in her life. And what happened was they loved it. And then maybe a few weeks later, like I we kind of looked at each other and kind of thought, oh man, if we want to go into business. Lemonades overhead isn't really that bad. It's a lot better than smoothies and protein shakes. Huh. Ding. The light just kind of went off and uh, we came up with with um, flavors. We came up with a, a name and we just decided to start it. Um, what was the first well, this, thing we this did? This process definitely took months. It took months. Like, I don't it wasn't want anybody like, to think, think we did It happened in like a week. No. Yeah. No, this <laughs> all was kind of like a layered process that kind of all came together uh in june of 2018 mm-hmm. well how, how did you know there was a market for your lemonade because there's lots of lemonades out there there's lots of beverages how did you know there was a market for you to tap into well for us we are we are our customer we're like we are our our target market because we are more conscious about what we eat. We like to read the labels and we just weren't seeing a lot of those beverages, at least in our community, we weren't seeing a lot of beverages that were all natural and completely free of like dyes and artificial sweeteners and things of that sort. So we wanted to create something that we didn't see and bring it to our our neck of the woods (laughs) because you know, there are similar products, but those weren't very popular in, in our um, neighborhood, in our community. So we wanted to be able to bring that to our community and also give flavor profiles that were different than what you saw on the shelves. They weren't just single flavor, like peach lemonade, strawberry lemonade. We wanted to make sure we infused other um, herbs and flavors because that's that's what we like. And we wanted to introduce something new to the palate, to, you know, people's palates that they yeah, may not have considered before. We also noticed that the um, craft industry as a whole was kind of booming at that at that time. So you had like craft beers, craft yep. ciders, uh, yep. craft seltzers. Yep. Hard um, ciders. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. The the beverage industry was kind of in this. um this transitional space where people are now wanting something a little different and not just Coke and Pepsi anymore. 
No, I, I just got hooked on kombucha. Is that how you say it? Oh, you're yeah, right. kombucha. Right. I, I never good. heard of it before, but somebody said, oh, it's really good for your gut we health. We've actually so been drinking kombucha okay. forever. Like me and her, we've been drinking kombucha for a really I long time. I think I tried kombucha for the first time in... When I was working at Mariano's. Yeah, like that was like a <laughs> I had, decade I had ago. a quick stint at Mariano's. <laughs> and that's the first time I tried kombucha. Yeah. I just yes. bought one that, you know, on a whim as I was checking out a Whole Foods. I mean, it was like, oh, yeah. okay. But and there's I- so many options now. There were not that many options when we first The market tried is it. saturated now. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's kombucha this, kombucha that. It's similar to how seltzers were in like 2019. Like, just seltzers every just right. everybody had their own their own seltzer but you know it'll thin out and kind of balance it I, I and go to something else yeah i suspect you're right so how did you get started selling your products and figuring out the strategy of going Absolutely. to market i mean there's obviously the pricing issue too and mm-hmm. sourcing of ingredients and things like that i mean you alluded to the pricing you can make things that taste wonderful but if people won't pay for them that's a challenge so how, how did you kind of t- go from concept to really making regular sales uh well, you want to take <laughs> yeah i mean markets probably was the first thing we did we had this uh wonderful opp- opportunity called box called boxville um where they actually took uh shipping containers and turn them into like viable business spaces Um, and they would do like and they Mm -hmm. would do like a market every Wednesday and every Saturday so that kind of gave us a chance to slowly introduce it and get everything going and what we realized was that people they, they they didn't just like the the product it wasn't like every now and again somebody says they like it every single person oh i love this oh i love that and so at that point we were also doing food so we had that whole thing going sandwiches along with beverages people just ate it up literally literally Um, ate it up yeah yeah and so then we had a friend who had a restaurant and wanted to sell sell the beverages in the restaurant so that's how we got into the bottling aspect ah. and, and and then so, we also sold in like another local store mm-hmm. um that Willow. focused on selling only black owned black made products so that was the black mall all right the black, black mall right and then we got into to another restaurant so we kind of started growing from there because people would either see that we were selling our product somewhere and say, Hey, you can sell it over here too. Or they would ask if they, we could carry, they could carry our products. But to your question, what you don't realize, cause that was before we even had a website before we had like, <laughs> before we had really done. We, by the time we started selling the lemonades in stores, we had a website. Right. Okay. But it wasn't as, as robust. It was as not it is as now. robust. It was very, it was real simple. Very simple. Uh, <laughs> but it was, um, then you start to now you can't make this stuff at home now because now you got well i was just gonna say i mean when you're talking bottling i mean it's one thing okay i buy some plastic cups and lids and then you know i have my imported a cup and and hand it to people at a farmer's market but bottling is a whole different 
Yeah, I mean, I believe that once we phased food out, like once we became do well brands as opposed to do well sandwich company, because that was our because that was our first name, because we actually use sandwiches as like a conduit to sell our beverage. Right. But then you realize people love the beverages, right? Yeah. And the overhead for the food didn't necessarily match up with the profit margin. And it was better to just to just really focus on the beverage end of it because of the um, the legs that the beverage have versus the food. It was it was a lot better in terms of uh, growth potential and scale. Yeah. Well, so did you face any kind of like regulatory challenges? I mean, once you start bottling stuff, I, I'm just in, I don't know that much about the food and beverage industry. Well, the biggest I'm challenge kidding. was when the kitchen that we had, uh, <laughs> that we had. Oh, when we, we first, we first made the decision to move into a commercial kitchen Man. and like shared kitchen spaces are, a. a are a popular thing now so i think the city had just kind of came up with this concept not too not too long before we looked into like where we can produce our products yeah and we found a kitchen that was like absolutely perfect it had all the equipment you needed it was just beautiful they had they were helpful with receiving deliveries and things like that and we go for a tour and we sign up and we're like gung-ho, like, yes, we, we can do money it. And everything. We're going to figure out how to pay for this kitchen every month, right? Because <laughs> they wanted us to sign a six-month contract. We put a deposit down. I think what the next that Tuesday, week, the following week, the guy who... No, it was on Sunday. It was on a Sunday. Yeah, the, the following yep, week, the guy who had signed us up, he said, hey, I'm just going to let you know this, the business from, is closing. From his personal email. You better try to get your deposit back. What? I'm talking about we were start, we were ready to start. We would business not that have week. known unless he told us. And he only he was rushing to tell us before they shut his email down because they had gone bankrupt or something. And they just completely shut down the business, oh. laid everybody off. So what did you do? So, so ironically, the same lady who gave us that tour, she had got another job. At that's where, not how we found out about that. Oh, that's not how no. we found out. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, change that. So it just happened. Cut. <laughs> that's how he remembers it. <laughs> but another business owner had let me know about the hatchery. Because we were, you know, we had a meeting. We were just talking about stuff. And she was like, oh, there's this new space, this new kitchen space opening. But they weren't open yet. And when that happened, we were like, well, let's look into the hatchery this is supposed to be a new brand new shared kitchen space incubator space but they didn't open for like another three months but they let us come in and do a tour and it turned out that the same person who worked at the (laughs) who was like the kitchen manager at the place that shut down had just got hired to be the kitchen manager at the hatchery and she still works there now. And she still day. works there now. Well, so if you had to figure out for three months how to limp along, I guess. Yeah. And we we had another kitchen space that we uh, could work out of. It just wasn't ideal. So when the hatchery opened, it was like the best timing because we were working out the other kitchen during our slow season. 
which I mean, we were brand new. So slow season was very, very slow. (laughs) So So we were barely doing anything at that point. You're you're not the first to have sung the praises of the hatchery. Talk a little bit about your experience with them and how, how they've helped you. So they've been helpful because they are, well, for one, they are a nonprofit organization. The other organization was for profit. Um, and they have, they work in collaboration with another organization that, um, or I guess their, their parent organization, um, ICNC, they all, they're all about supporting small businesses, especially businesses with owners from underserved communities. So the South side, the West side, minority owned businesses, women owned businesses, and they provide kitchen space shared and private kitchen spaces. But in addition to that, they offer, they offer workshops, courses, one-on-one coaching. And this is all pretty much financial assistance. Yeah. Financial assistance. They, um, they have experts come in all the time to talk about marketing and how to get capital and, um, all kinds of business related topics. They have panels, networking events every month. So they have countless opportunities for you to learn more as a small business. And then the staff also is very supportive. So when they hear of grants or um, loans or any other kind of um, events, even like trade shows, things of that sort, they are always informing the businesses that work out of the hatchery about these opportunities so they can grow. Well, and I know like this sounds interesting. I know this sounds petty, but it's clean. <laughs> it's clean. That's very important. <laughs> I know like all of them should be, but they're not. Right. So I really, and you can, you see them working on stuff every, every day. Someone's in, in there cleaning up something, doing something. If you ask them to like do something, they're there. It's just yeah. really, really great. Great customer service. <laughs> Well, you know, you, you've um, kind of built up a, a, a natural lead into a couple of follow-on questions, one of which is about finding the right resources. One of the mm-hmm. common themes with people that I've talked to and had as guests on the show is that they've struggled sometimes to find resources, you know, a, people who can get answers to their questions, but it sounds like the hatchery was really filled a lot of those roles for you well we still i mean as a business owner you don't know what you don't know till you don't know it right (laughs) and for sure so it's one of those things where the hatchery can't do everything there is there are still some resources that we lack like we still look for mentors in the beverage industry in general um and we still look for um resources in terms of relationships, uh, partnership relationships, um, putting those things together is probably what we will focus on the most outside of what they can do for us. Mm-hmm. So and, and yeah. how, do, how do you find those people? Um, how have you been in the mix? I mean, doing that COVID kind of threw us off a little bit because it was great that it did. Cause we, cause we got to do a nice pivot that was necessary. However, it took us out of our most comfortable space, which, which was in front of people. 
Yeah. And being able to kind of sell and kind of really touch the people. And almost network. And yeah. and that right. was our network. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, talk about t- talk about perfect market research. You get such immediate feedback. Right. Each and every person you serve. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. And we also would get a lot of business from those um, customers because yep. they would say, oh, I work for such and such and yep. we could have you do this, this and this. Or we're look- we're trying to do an employee appreciation event and we can hire you to do this. And, and so then we would kind works. of get like small catering gigs. And because um, that's how we, is that how we got that job? But, um, the, Which one? The, <laughs> the school, the one that we got. Uh, feeding this, this yes we, yeah we did one summer we did a it was a four-week program for school children and we did the lunches for them every day and it was like 300 lunches a day oh how fun yeah not fun at all because that that <laughs> was that that, that was, was our first major that project. was that was the job though that ended food for us well, it was the beginning of the end. That's what no more sandwiches first. for kids. It Done. Was the beginning of the end. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we realized that food was not necessarily how we wanted to go about our days. That that that's all. Well, even good, though we were good at. It. Good that you found that out early. You know, the other follow up question I that you made me think about was funding. Um, mm-hmm. How how did you fund all of this? Ah, our pockets our money <laughs> ouch yeah in the very beginning quite honestly <laughs> it was not very expensive to start yeah i mean you pay your your registration with the state of illinois you pay for your food service certificate and okay i mean it's not really that wasn't yeah and we wasn't got a, a million dollar a business we started yeah, yeah we <laughs> we started card. off basic so We've always wanted to be in control of our situation. And when it came to whether it be a loan, whether it be an investment, we wanted to always just kind of be leery of loaning and kind of dealing with the whole debt aspect of it until we felt like it was necessary, Um, as well as we wanted to get our business to a space where we could have some some leverage within any type of negotiation as far as like investment or anything like that because we just felt like the more we learn through our bumps and kind of kind of fight through this thing ourselves we feel like we get stronger in terms of the uh the things that we get out of the beverage game if you yeah. well there's no question that once you have external investors uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch pardon that's the pun. Right. <laughs> I, I guess that's an appropriate fun for for you guys but um you know they they have their hooks in you and then they're gonna have a significant say over and it's it not becoming what it started what to be yeah how do you see your business how has it grown since you started and what do you see for the future i mean what what will your business look like let's say in a couple of years if you're successful well you know 
we've grown to the point where I can walk down. I, I can I can drive down the street and see somebody drinking our beverage. Oh, that's so cool! And that was and that was a really cool uh, moment. I'll say, then the next two years, we want to be a national brand. We want to be on everybody. We we want to be part of whatever trend is going on and um we we actually wanted the tongues uh, verbally and physically of every single <laughs> person that we can <laughs> so, so how do you think you'll get there i mean you know cracking some of these it's one thing to have word of mouth and a handful of restaurants or maybe farmers markets and food markets but to scale this and try to get it you know, and I I had a friend who had a natural chip product, and he was always complaining. I was going to say griping, but yeah, he was probably <laughs> doing that too. About how hard it was to kind of crack the key spaces in some of the big retailers. So I got one word for you. Yeah. Relationships. Ah. At the end of at the end of the day. Everybody has something to sell. Everybody has a product. Um, some products are better than better than others, but the thing that kind of gets you, I mean, we we live in a we live in a world that is kind of nepo, nepotism based. Yeah, um, that's for and sure. Not, and not just you know family, but you know you if you're in the right circles and the right people taste your beverage, it can go through the roof. So you need a little bit of luck and the proper relationships. Um, and if we just remain consistent and continue to do what it is that, um, that, you know, we do, which is make fantastic beverages, then we think that the rest will kind of take care of itself. Well, I know from talking to Malika before the show, that you have pivoted. In fact, you even talked about one of the pivots that you've done, which was starting in sandwiches and then deciding that wasn't where you wanted to go. How do you see yourself pivoting? I mean, there's a lot of directions you can mm -hmm. go in, um, you know, different kinds of beverages, more flavors, more markets, I mean, mm -hmm. more products. So talk about that. So, as you mentioned, we already pivoted our business model from food and beverage <laughs> to just beverage. And funny enough, we've pivoted again <laughs> to food and beverage, um, except now we offer something that is a little more intentional and in alignment with what our intention as a business is, because, well, our name is Do Well, and we named the business do well because we wanted whatever we offered to not only do well, like in business and sell well and things like that, but also offer um, like a better for you option right. than what was commonly known or commonly provided. So right now we're working on different product lines within our beverage offerings. We, offer fresh salads now for like local catering and um, we'll be getting back into markets this summer. Now that the pandemic has kind of slowed down just a little bit and we'll be getting back in front of people 
and doing like some more some live action service um and then we also have services that we want to start introducing so we're kind of um flushing out all of these ideas to have a full line of brands underneath underneath the do well brands name and it's not just lemonade but it'll be the lemonade the mixers the salads maybe some merchandise and um classes things like that wow well you know you mentioned i think when we chatted before the show and i saw on your website too that you have mixers yes talk about how that came to be so that was that pandemic pivot. Yeah, that was part of the <laughs> pandemic pivot. That was the pandemic. So that same oh, drink, year, drink, so in 2020, drink was he- like drink he- I'm just laughing. I'm thinking drink heavily. Is that? <laughs> oh, well, it kind of was because we had recently launched um, our e-com- like e-commerce. People were able to order online now. And then pandemic hit and we were like, well, thank God we have a website where people can order online because now they can't come to us and buy it. And we were, instead of doing the markets, we were like, we need to stay in touch with our, our people, like our consumers, our customers. So we started a virtual happy hour on Instagram live. And how creative, what a great idea. And we would demo a cocktail that used our lemonade because we didn't have the mixers yet. We use the lemonade as the mixer. We will create a little cocktail kit that people could order in advance and mix along with us. And we would go live, mix the drink and just chit chat pretty much on Instagram live. And then from that, I started thinking like, well, why don't why don't we make an actual mixer for the drinks instead of always having to use lemonade? Let's use something that can make the drink a little bit more um it gives you a little more room for imagination and creating different types of drink instead of it always being a lemonade and vodka a lemonade and rum a and it gives the drink body <laughs> yeah. yeah wow very cool so that's where the mixers were born and then um so we have the mixing syrups which we actually use for more than just mixers for drinks but can also be used as toppings for like your ice cream or pancakes, you can mix it into your baked goods. You can glaze a salmon or chicken wings, or you can do a whole bunch of things. Wow. Put it in your tea, your coffee, you know. Very cool. She makes this fantastic peanut butter and jelly tasting ice cream where she puts Mm, like the syrup on there (laughs) and mixes in some peanut butter. It's like amazing crunchy peanut butter crunchy peanut butter you gotta have a peanuts in there well well one thing that's very clear in talking to the two of you and kudos to you you are both obviously very ready and willing to try lots of new ideas and you know i think that's i think that's a, a really important thing for entrepreneurs yeah it's important too to know when to stick to your guns and keep doing more of the same but uh, particularly it strikes me in the food and beverage industry where people's tastes change and you know the the restaurant chain or brand that's super hot this month you know mm-hmm. two Talk years later it. is just never not even around yeah. so you have to i think keep uh keep things fresh in that industry would you agree Definitely. I mean, if you're not adjusting, you're dying, man. And and you actually talked talk, talked about it with 
the with the uh, restaurant industry, that industry is something that I've watched since I've been in the beverage industry now, just kind of watched it really closely and, and you were spot on. I've seen that hot restaurant that everybody loved that summer, the next summer, not even be there. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that's actually why we never really, we didn't focus on getting a brick and mortar um, because of, I mean, some of, some of it was, was fear ish, <laughs> but a lot of it had to do with kind of the functionality of the industry and starting out, you don't want to have that type of pressure to have to do something. You want to be able to have time to be able to flex and pivot and do some things differently. And I think had we had a brick and mortar that had rent every do every day, we had staff, I think we wouldn't have been able to flush out our business the way we really, really wanted to. Um, and I think that we would not be as further along with the detailed stuff yeah. that we are now. Well, there's no question about having a, a brick and mortar store. There's a certain, I don't know, cachet that goes with it. You know, it's like, Ooh, here's our store. And we everybody's have happy until they got to keep on going every day. <laughs> right. But I mean, but it ties you down a lot and yeah, it probably early on, especially as you're still experimenting with products and uh, business models and, you know, go to market strategies. It's, I think it's probably smart that you're not, you're not tied down by that. So I thank my wife though, for that. She's, she's, she's the one that drilled that into my head. <laughs> I had to kind of learn that. You know, so yes, so mwah, love yes, you. He was he had his heart <laughs> sold on getting the storefront. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Well, so for the two of you, what's been the best part about having your own business? Being able to be with our children. We were just talking about that today. Yeah, talk um, a little bit about that. You you've had a couple of new arrivals, which yeah, yeah like, a couple is right. A couple is correct. <laughs> we had twins and in August. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I couldn't imagine having to be at like a nine to five job where I wouldn't be able to do some of the things that I'm, I'm able to do with them throughout the day, um, and be able to have that bonding time with them that's really really uh important at this time and she actually just uh brought it up today and i i hadn't really thought about it that deeply but yeah that's I, that's definitely the best thing we got is our freedom of time so we can be able to do that yeah what about you malika what's been the best thing for you the same or something I, else well to piggyback off of what mike said the freedom um and the flex the flexibility but also seeing something that you made grow into like a real live viable breathing thing it's almost like having a child you know mm -hmm. yeah. you have a child and you get to see them grow up and starting a business is very similar you started out with this little idea and then you turn around years later and you're like oh my little idea is now this really big idea yeah or several big ideas <laughs> right well and so, and your your business is so uh, tangible, I guess, you know, I mean, you, you yes. literally at these events get to see 
immediate feedback. People smile, the smiles on their faces and, you know, their positive feedback. I mean, a lot of businesses, you don't get that kind of immediate gratification. So I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that piece of it is is often really rewarding. Well, I think too, what a lot of businesses don't quite understand. And you know, what, what I was saying earlier, everybody has something to sell. So a lot of times the thing that differentiates it comes down to maybe one or two different things. People love us. So like when they come to these different festivals on top of them getting something delicious, they get our personality, they get our uh, energy because we really try to make sure we give them that and make sure that when they um, leave, they're like, man, I remember when, man, I saw do well, um, because I, I think us is one of our greatest values because yeah. I, I, I think people love us on top of the product. To the point where we go by Mr. and Mrs. Do Well. Well, I can certainly see it. You have been a delight to have on my show. And uh, I have just been smiling the whole time. You know, I know both of you uh, have done some mentoring. You feel pretty strongly about helping other entrepreneurs. Talk a little bit about your mentoring and how you do that. And some of the advice that you offer to them, some of the common issues you see. You mean mentoring from a business, other, other business owners or you yeah. youth or whatever. Oh, um, yeah. Um, the, what happens is again, shout out to the hatchery. I, I know when I'm there, I get to talk like, for instance, miss, there's this wonderful, um, business called Miss B's Patties. Like you gotta uh please look her up. She has fantastic beef and shrimp patties, like uh Jamaican, Jamaican patties. Yeah. style patties. They are delicious. Um I um talk to her a lot about her uh marketing, share share with her some of our different experiences and things like like that. Um, also, we also partner with with different with different businesses. Also, Tubby's Tubby's Tastes, um, uh, Bottle Bottle Bees Cakes and Ice Cream, and we share information and we share best uh, practices. Um, and you know, we kind of help each yeah, other. We're all kind of growing way. together, but we all have different levels of experience or different experiences so we share our um what we've learned our through our journey. business journey with each other and in addition to the partnerships with the other businesses and mentoring we also want to mentor or we do mentor younger aspiring entrepreneurs so people who haven't quite started a business or they have started a business teenagers, young adults who are interested in getting in business and have the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit. That word always trips me up. Well, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious too, you know, because the hatchery, as you said, is, is really trying to serve disadvantaged communities or mm -hmm. what I would say are underrepresented entrepreneurs. I mean, there right. is no question. It's a very sad fact that 
that women-owned businesses are receive such a small percentage of venture capital money. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs owned by people of color and immigrants really underrepresented. What are some of the specific challenges that you've seen and any words of advice for those folks or words of encouragement? I would say we we didn't really know much about the capital, how to build capital starting a business. And that's partially because we grew up in a community where it wasn't widely known knowledge. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't widespread knowledge. It wasn't discussed in school as much as, you know, other communities may have experienced or even knowing someone who who's gone through the process we didn't know much about venture venture capitalists investors we have heard of it we've watched shark tank of course <laughs> but it's just not um it's not common knowledge right so when you start a business you don't realize all the opportunities or all the options there are for building capital and then you realize that a lot of these companies who get that capital are white men yeah well <laughs> and, the and ones, part, part of the ones reason, that are connected you know well, right part of the reason people don't know about it is because even if they did know and they tried they wouldn't be successful so that they wouldn't be successful because they don't have the relationships that yeah. have been fostered over generations and yeah. you know so it's just it's a it's a really sad cycle and it, i do see a shift happening where more um people of color and women-owned businesses are given opportunities to be able to get into those spaces and learn more about those spaces. And there are like, um, oh, complete uh, accelerator programs and things like that, where they will teach you and show you and give you connections with other business owners who have already gone through it and teach you all of the things that you need to know in order to advance your business, which is great. But, you know, it's just historically those groups have been disadvantaged and we got to play catch up. And how, how, do, how do we, how do we change that though? Well, to that point, what, what she was saying, that being the case, it creates um, this. It's like as business owners, they tell themselves what they can't do before they even know that they can't do it. So right. you don't even go look for a loan. So you don't even look for different resources because you have been taught through your ex experience that oh, i'm not gonna get this yeah. thing anyway don't loan black so it don't money. really matter yeah. so like like i met a young uh lady who had a fantastic product and she just doesn't want she didn't realize how easy it was to get into the um get into the hatchery um and she was like, I don't, don't, I just don't know. But that's because she assumed that it was going to be out of her price range, assumed that it was going to be no way she would do it. So I believe a lot of the things is that a lot of people need to just kind of jump out there and kind of learn, learn the different, the yeah. different programs, resources that are actually out there and get the ball going and stop focusing on what can't be done. Well, I think there's something to be said for um, 
helping build things one brick at a time. And mm -hmm. I'm glad the two of you are out there, you know, helping build those build those bridges and uh, wet those whistles <laughs> <laughs> wet those whistles so you know we're 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 almost out of time I the hour has absolutely flown by I feel like I could just sit down and have uh, a lemonade or a cocktail with the two of you pretty much oh, any yes, day. We'll, well now get... we got to get you on Thirsty Thursday now. See, there you, you told okay. us yes, it's now. A it's a you. deal. So I got to let you have a minute to tell people who are listening in how they can reach you or find out more about your product. So, so tell everybody, tell listen up, that. attention right now. <laughs> I want you to go to dowellbrands.com. Take it from me, Mr. Do Well and Mrs. Do Well. You will not regret it. You, you can get your favorite beverages, your mixers, get, get, get you a few craft salads, and join our, our email list so you can find out what's going on with us every month yes, on dowellbrands.com. And you can check us on Instagram at dowellbrands.com. No, not.com. Oh, you know what Do I mean. Do well brands. Well underscore brands yes. is our Instagram handle. And it's Do Well Brands on Facebook. <laughs> well, and it sounds like uh, folks should look for your podcast soon, too. Yes. Yeah. Thirsty Thursday coming up one day. Coming up I, soon. I can't wait and I'd be happy to be a guest. Mike and Malika, thanks so much for being with me today. It's been a delight having you. Thank um, you. The co-owners and co-founders of Do Well Brands, thanks again for being on the show. My pleasure. Yes, we had a great time. Sure did. And you have a wonderful voice. I could I could talk to you for a long time too. <laughs> Well, thank you. I uh, I will say this. I love doing it. I'm so blessed to be able to talk to so many amazing people, you included. So it's just fun to hear about different entrepreneurs on their journey. And I love connecting other entrepreneurs who have been guests or that I've chatted with. I'll always keep you in mind, too. Before I sign off for this week, I wanted to highlight what I view as the absolutely pathetic, sad state of startup funding for women-owned businesses, especially businesses started by women of color. Now, the good news is that women of all stripes are starting more businesses than ever. In 2021, the U.S. government says that nearly 47% of new businesses were founded by women. That is great. And women of color are starting businesses at an even faster clip. The number of firms owned by African-American women has grown 164% since 2007. And in fact, is the biggest demographic starting new companies, the fastest in all the United States. And while that's good, it's not all good news. Funding for all women-owned startup businesses has continued to decline. In 2019, the percentage for all women-owned businesses who received funding was a pathetic, paltry 2.6%. Well, that's pretty awful in 2019. I really thought we were a little more enlightened than that. But sadly, the number went down to 2.3% in 2020. Well. That's got to be an anomaly, right? 2021 had to be better than that. Wrong. 
the percentage was under 2% in 2021. And that's despite the fact that 2021 was an absolute blockbuster year for venture funding. In fact, the total of funding that all women-owned startup businesses received in 2021 was less than the funding that one single company, Robinhood, received. And that's similar to 2020, where again, the total that all women startup businesses received was less than the funding for WeWork. Now, ironically, WeWork has already pretty much cratered. And if you're reading the news, Robinhood has not done very well lately. So really, what gives? Robinhood and WeWork are more valuable than all the women startups combined out there? That seems pretty unlikely. And it's not that women-owned businesses do poorly for venture capitalists. A recent study showed that women-owned businesses who did get venture funding returned 78 cents on the dollar invested, while male-owned businesses only about 31 cents on the dollar. Something needs to change, and I'm really curious what you out there think needs to be done to change this. Clearly, we do need more women venture capital partners, and that is happening. But we need funds that are biased towards women entrepreneurs. There are a handful out there, but we need a lot more. Women also need a helping hand to coach them on how to find the right venture and angel funding, and also how to pitch more effectively to these people to speak their language. This will help women entrepreneurs in general, but I don't know. I'm not sure anyone's really looked at whether that's sufficient. If, if it helps all women of entrepreneurs, will it help the entrepreneurs who are women of color or women who are vets or immigrants? I don't know if the rising tide is sufficient to raise all boats. There's a lot of work to be done in this area, no doubt about it. I want to continue this conversation. I welcome your comments and suggestions. I'm going to address this either in future segments or perhaps a blog post or two or feature comments from some of my guests. Now, one last thing before I wrap up today, I'll get off my soapbox, but I want to drop in a word for our station, WLCB. They are a nonprofit radio station. And just like NPR and PBS, we depend on listener support from listeners just like you. And it's super easy to donate. You just go to www.lakesradio.org, click the donate button. If you're interested in being a sponsor, we'd love to talk to you about advertising on WLCB. Just reach out to me at dnagel at lakesradio.org or go to the contact us page on the website and someone from the station will get back to you. A final thank you to Mike and Malika Wells of Do Well Brands, my guest on the show this week. And thank you to my listeners. You're the reason I do this. You <laughs> can find helpful information and resources on my consulting website, which is globalocityservicesplural.com. And I have a new radio show dedicated website, thesavvyentrepreneur.org. <clears throat> There's a library there of blogs and tools, podcasts, other free resources for small business people and entrepreneurs. And because the show is for you, my door is always open for comments, questions, suggestions, or just to shoot the breeze. Email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at thesavvyentrepreneur.org. You'll always get a response back from me. 
Now, be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.